Hello and welcome to Alone Upfront, the podcast for teachers doing it by themselves. Hi folks, this is Steve Mortimer in Berlin. I'm with Chris, as usual. What's up, Chris? Hi, Steve, and hello, everybody. Looking forward to this one. So, episode five, we're really getting into our stride now, we hope. Um, Podcast, as always, is for those teachers who work outside conventional contexts. Maybe you lack a bit of support. Maybe you feel you're alone up front, just trying to figure stuff out. Well, we are here for you. And today's topic is uh, differentiation. You've probably read that on uh, the start of the podcast, but what does it mean? We're going to discuss it. We're going to give you some ideas, maybe some things to think about from our own experience. Hope it'll be useful for you. As usual, we also have our top tip coming up later and our relatively new feature, Is It Worth It?, where me and Chris debate Mm -hmm. whether a commonly held belief in classroom practice is actually worth it or not. If that sounds like something that might be useful to you, then please do keep listening. So, differentiation. Chris... Have you ever done an experiment where you think about plotting the abilities of your learners Mm -hmm. onto a graph and imagining what kind of curve that graph would produce? Mm -hmm. So say you have your most able learners on the right across to your least able learners on the left, Mm. and then you have the number of learners in each of those categories of ability uh, that goes on the vertical. What what kind of curve would you imagine Mm. that you see? Well, I'd imagine um, a normal, what statisticians would call a normal distribution. So a balanced curve with the highest, uh, you know, the highest bar, as it were, in the middle. And yep. then with an equal kind of curvature on equal side, a, a normal distribution. Just off the top yep. of my head, that's what I would expect. And I think that this is the first thing possibly teachers need to do actually have a little think about how heterogeneous or homogeneous the level of ability is in their group and that that standard distribution normal distribution the bell curve that you're talking about even um conceptualizing your group in that way be it three people or six or 20 or 500 um it's worth thinking about the shape of that curve do you have a bias where there's a certain level of ability that's maybe a little bit above what might be termed average and then your bell curve is a little bit shifted to the Mm -hmm. right or do you have a a sort of a long tail on either side of your Mm -hmm. bell curve maybe you've got um a kind of a, a, a wodge of students in a certain area, but then there are quite a few that sort of tail off and you've got a long tail on the left of your mm-hmm. bell curve, which would be more students that are maybe a little bit struggling. Or is there a longer tail on your right? You have like a bulk of students, but then there's, there is quite a few who are more able. And everyone has a different curve, obviously. Every group of learners is different, but you will have some kind of distribution there. And I think that um, inevitably as teachers, we do find ourselves teaching broadly to the middle of that curve because that's where inevitably most students are most learners are gathered somewhere uh, in the bell part of your bell curve and we do inevitably tend to ignore our tails at either end Mm -hmm. on the left or the right and if those and if those are long tails because you've got quite a heterogeneous group quite a wide range of varieties this is a bit problematic because you have learners who are spending all of their time being under challenged and getting a bit bored or frankly being over challenged and feeling insecure and feeling that they're not Mm. really keeping up and those learners may drift off your attendance may drop off and suddenly you realize hang on a minute i've just kind of 
got this I've, I've been teaching to the middle the whole time yeah. and i'm not i'm neglecting um i don't know it could be half group and of course if you are alone up front so if you're teaching in a non-conventional context this could be quite a quite a big problem if you teach in a school mm. in an education authority um schools within schools they have ways of having sets or streams or bands they tend to group uh, pupils of similar ability together and of course at a broad in a broader context we've got vocational education or academic education so often if you're uh, not alone up front but you're teaching in a more kind of contextual con um, a more conventional context you may have th this may be a bit less of a problem but the kind of teachers that we aim this podcast at which is people who find themselves teaching without support structures without conventional um, mechanisms around them they are especially likely i could imagine to have quite heterogeneous yeah. groups and so the challenge or the limitations of only teaching to the middle mm -hmm. are greater or this is more of a problem for teachers alone up front and teachers alone up front have of course less support in terms of developing techniques to avoid this happening yeah uh, to avoid just teaching to the middle so this seems to me to be an ideal subject for us to discuss in this podcast because it's particularly mm. the teachers alone up front that could benefit from understanding um, new approaches to doing this so having defined it for mm. you in my usual lengthy <laughs> fashion um is this something that you've had experience with or you're aware of or is it something well, that's sort of completely yeah. completely new to you well i'm familiar with the concept i think i have a kind of rudimentary understanding of differentiation i mean i would define it as teaching something in diff in a different way according to the student's uh, level of ability that's how yeah. i'd understand the concept but yeah the idea of this this bell curve idea yeah i've never thought of visualizing um learner ability in in an aggregate way like that i think that's mm. a very interesting idea i suppose i'd say well my question would be um we're talking about as you said people who are alone up front outside of those conventional structures when i do my university teaching i have zero uh performance data on the students so mm. i have on a module mm. I might have 100 students and it would be very difficult for me to access their their level so obviously i don't i don't want to take us off down a rabbit hole but do, do you have any ideas for how you might quickly ascertain what they're or informally ascertain what the level might be and get a sense for what that distribution is it's a good question and you're right it's so, sort of a subtopic or a massive i mean the, the use of data yep. education is obviously a massive topic and i think it's something we should discuss in further depth on this podcast because often that data is available to teachers in a conventional context through school performance management software but not available to teachers who are just alone up front i think um in answer in answer to your question i'd make it um a cognitive awareness thing as always a metacognitive awareness thing have students evaluate their own mm. learning um give give them an online questionnaire yeah um ask them to say give or, or give them a very basic quiz um have them do the quiz uh, but rather than um collating the results of that quiz which would take time and require you to only have that would allow you to only have that data for a, a, a later session have them see the answers see their own performance and on the basis of that uh, mm. uh, allocate themselves to a group um so that you can then say great now we have a, a rough sense of where we are let's let's move on so then you can have an instant feedback and you've have like a um two birds with one stone you've got them thinking in a metacognitive mm. fashion and you've been able to create a, or mm, um you've been able to see what the differentiation requirements are like for that for that group yep. 
Sounds um, good. Yeah, we could do that anonymously, uh, of course, because you know the yep. yeah, which student yep. is which doesn't matter. We're looking to get that aggregate view. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about today is is once you is is, is yeah is becoming aware um, that this is an issue, and then maybe it's enough to use your own knowledge of your learners. If you've been working with them for a few sessions, you may already, if you have 10 or 12 in a group, and I were to say, okay, put them on the graph, um, you'd be able to instantly imagine where each learner is and and how long your tails are on either side of your of your bell curve. I think the idea of, of not just... I think in all aspects of life, if we look at um, sort of life in the digital age... Um, the long tail is an expression that you mm. hear a lot for different things. And I think it applies to teaching as much as everything else. In a more uh, individualized world, a more personalized world, you simply have less standardized, um, homogenous groups. Mm. Whether it's, I mean, the, I think the long tail was originally used to talk about tastes in, in music and the availability of, of different genres and the fact that back in the day you had like a record store with a limited number of shelves and you had to serve up products which would which would be to the tastes of the people in the middle of the bell curve and the normal distribution. And if you had more eclectic tastes, well, then you couldn't really do much. Nowadays, of course, there is no physical store for records there is no limitation on shelf space and the long and people have realized artist labels that by serving the long tail that long tail at the end of that bell curve there's millions and millions of people in there it doesn't look much but that long tail goes for an awful long way mm. so you have to imagine we think of a bell curve maybe being about as wide as it is high but also in our classes maybe our bell curve is much much shallower mm. than we realize maybe there is this little little hump in the middle but maybe it extends off to the left and right yeah. much farther than we realize and we might have more than half of our learners who aren't really being served mm. properly because they just mm. have much a much more diverse range of abilities than they possibly used to have because of the world we live in it's um, uh, a general trend mm. that teachers need to need to get ahead of so I suppose uh, the next thing to think about is right. Okay, once we've identified that this is something we need to do, and um, how can we how can we approach differentiating our teaching, making it accessible, um, and providing the right level of challenge for a variety of different abilities? And I think that there's two ways of doing this. You can differentiate at the planning stage before you start teaching, or you can differentiate via intervention strategies while you're teaching. Okay. And um, there are kind of pros and cons to each of these methods. Um, what, having just confronted you with this, mm. um, what would you say? And I, and I haven't, we haven't really discussed this before, so I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. When you think about your teaching, um, or when you kind of retroactively analyze it, do you plan? Do you plan to address multiple levels of? abilities mm. or in the middle of your session do you intervene to support or challenge students more what's your me method of mm. your kind of instinctive method of having maybe <laughs> not been confronted with those two terms i think it's primarily the second one yeah uh yeah. which is intervention and i think um well it's kind of what we were talking about last week um, oh yeah it was totally connected with totally. that. totally i mean like we can do all, all all this great planning and stuff but then when we actually get into the classroom setting we see things in a much sharper focus and you know that's when we kind of react and uh, i would absolutely so the fact i don't do the planning doesn't mean i don't value this idea because i think i do because if if i saw it in a classroom situation 
you know, it's the classic, oh, group work and people are finished. Uh, you know, you've mm. got to go and uh, I'd, I'd certainly respond to that and extend the task or, you know, do do whatever I needed to do to um, to provide more challenge for those students. So I know that's a very reactive um, example, but certainly in practice, um, mm. it's something it's something that I'm that I'm aware of. It's not something I'm focusing on particular. I think I'm going to benefit from this from this uh, <laughs> session actually. Well, in my experience of um, being in uh, having less support, um, it's not something that I've ever been really instructed or encouraged to do. Though I was, it, it was very much a part of um, my teacher training that I did. If you haven't listened before, my background is of now being a teacher who's basically on the front. But previously, I worked in. Uh, a school in the UK and where I did my teacher training. So I sort of, the idea is I have a bit of experience of both and maybe can hope that help those who are working in a loan upfront context nowadays. So if we think about um, the planning stage of versus the intervention stage of differentiation, the planning stage breaks down into creating support materials uh, to differentiate down. So you have a main task and then you may be create a support sheet which mm. contains extra clues, extra ideas, additional vocab, um, helpful tips. And that is available to those students that need it or feel they need it, or you maybe give it out to them in a hopefully subtle way. But that's another question. That's differentiating down in the planning stage. Differentiating up in the planning stage normally um, leads to you creating maybe extension tasks. Mm. So you might have your main task and then an additional task which requires a, a deeper level of engagement, more creative thinking, maybe a less structured approach. And you might that then give that out to those uh, learners you think might finish the task too quickly and yeah. be left a little bit under challenge. When you put it that way, Steve, I think maybe I'm not giving mm. myself enough credit because... <laughs> Uh, yeah, one example. So I teach, um, we've spoken before that I teach spreadsheets and mm. I have a kind of first session I do for spreadsheets, a, a generic basic skill session. And there's a task yep. and the task is build a budget planner for yourself. And I say mm. to people, if you're confident at Excel, just go ahead and do it. But there's also they also have access to a supporting file, which has lots of sheets and mm. takes them through the steps and the required techniques, you know, step by step. So maybe maybe yeah. that is an example of differentiation. And then, and well, then I, further, totally is, I yeah. have um, video resources as well. So on top of that, if you're struggling with the support file, you can just watch a video. Uh, that, yeah. That'll take you through it step by step. So, may, so maybe, maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit here. I don't know. I think that you're you're showing some strong differentiation in your planning there, mm. which is which which is awesome. Um, it's funny I've never recognised that as differentiation. You know, I, I well, I've yeah. only recognised that as making my life easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's, it, uh, successful differentiation is very much a win-win situation. Mm. As are all of. I mean, being a good the, the great thing is about learning to be a great teacher also means that you're a very relaxed teacher yeah and your life is a lot easier uh teacher teaching gets easier the better you you are at it which mm. is um maybe just that's just a truism but there you go um it's not like a sport where you have to work the, you know to, to get better you have to work yeah, really really yeah. hard the, mm. the better you get it the easier it is which is um mm. which is why it's a glorious glorious <laughs> job that i'm 
endlessly grateful to- that I'm able to it do. It totally makes sense because now, you know, I have a lot of video content online. So I can just say to students, you're struggling, watch that video. Previously, yeah. it would have been, you're struggling. I'm going to sit with you for five or 10 minutes right. and kind of do it for you, which mm-hmm. um, is kind of wrong in a number of ways. But the main thing is it's kind of putting the focus back on the teacher and the learner kind yeah. of following the teacher. So, um, so yeah, I yes. think I think the planning really is important. Um, mm. Well, well, in 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 the the second part of this podcast, I want to get into um, where the strengths of of planning differentiation, where the strengths of of differentiating via intervention are, and how that maps out, and whether there's a, a, a preferable approach to do. Um, so we're going to totally get into that. But what I think we should now is is uh, jump into our special feature, which is, is it worth it? Now, as always, I've got my coin here. I'll be based on coin toss, who is arguing for and against. Chris, um, if the euro sign comes up, then you are arguing for. Okay. Okay. If the uh, the German eagle sign comes up, you're arguing against. The topic is, should you be wearing a suit or formal <laughs> clothes when you teach? Okay. So euro, you're arguing for, eagle against. Let's toss the coin. Oh, there it is. Okay, your row is up. That means you're arguing for formal attire while teaching. I'm arguing against. I'll start. Teaching is a tough job. You're hot. You're moving around. <laughs> you don't need a tie on. It's it's crazy. If you were doing working in a factory or maybe you were a yoga or a dance teacher, you wouldn't be wearing a suit. <laughs> teaching is a physically, a physically active job. Uh, I don't wear a tie. And I'm very happy that I don't have to do so. Um, what are your thoughts? Well... We've got a problem, certainly in university education. We've got a problem that there's there's a disconnect between what's being taught and indeed the people who are doing the teaching and what's going on in the real world. And never do you see this better than nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning on campus and the lecturer kind of rocks up <laughs> and the lecturer's got some some, some corduroy trousers on and uh, some kind some kind of knitwear. You know, and yeah. and increasingly we have a vocational focus. You know, I teach in a business mm. school and mm. we have to adopt the same norms that mm. we see in the business world. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have your Hugo Boss suit, but I am saying mm. a, a degree of I'm trying to avoid the word professionalism because that's an emotive word, but. Mm. A degree mm. of attention to detail that includes personal presentation and replicating the situation your students are going to find in the business world if we're doing vocational yeah. education, then we have to we have to respect that. Well, I do hear what you're saying, but my counter argument would be that is not the way to teach this because um, you're then teaching students to look at what their superior is wearing and copy him or her mm. when you should be teaching them to evaluate the situation, uh, look for subtle um, societal communication, cultural clues and make an informed decision to based on uh, yeah based on a very kind of sensitive evaluation of their 
of their surroundings, not just to sort of simplicity say, uh, we're mm. learning here with this vocational, we're learning business, you ought to be wearing a suit or, or, or sort of, I mean, in a, in a school, when you're dealing with younger kids, of course, there's a kind of a, a pastoral function. You are mm. not just teaching them, but you're, so, you're, you're helping them to understand where they are in society. But I think that this needs to be limited to primary education. And for me, I, when sometimes my students say to me, well, why don't you wear... We're doing business English. Shouldn't you be wearing something smart? Mm. I'm like, well, no, I'm dressing appropriately for the role and the task that I'm mm. in. And that's what you mm. should be doing as well. Interesting. Which if you're in, in a board meeting means a, a, a suit and tie, but I'm teaching you presentation skills. We're standing in a circle doing breathing exercises. Why I on suppose, earth would I wear a tie? I suppose uh, what the example that sprung to mind was you have a football team has a doctor who's mm. on the sidelines all the time, that doctor is not wearing a white coat and has a stethoscope. Yeah. That doctor's wearing a football kit. So, yeah. you know, you're, we could say, try to synthesise these views and say that, you know, your attire, it's, 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 mm. to do with, it's to do with your physical surroundings as opposed yeah. to the kind of role that you're trying to, that you're trying to mm. uh, the role that you're playing. Yeah. I mean, where where teachers derive their authority, mm. uh, their gravitas, their legitimacy is generally an interesting question. And as usual in our is it worth it debates, we've gone off into a broader topic, but that's fine because this is interesting mm. as well. And I think um, I, I hear from colleagues that, you know, it's about a question of respect. You want to have respect and authority in the classroom and you need to address appropriately for that. Um, but I think that that's just all, all wrong. Mm. I'm not saying that I roll up in um, T-shirt and board shorts and flip-flops, even though it was really <laughs> hot a few weeks ago and I was, I was very tempted. Um, but you're surely a teacher's authority in the classroom it should be based on learning. Mm. Like the the learners are there because they understand the teacher is helping them learn, and that learning is where is why they want to be there. They don't want to be there because they sort of admire the well, maybe they admire the teacher because they appreciate the learning. But this idea that you can dress to impress, mm. I, I guess, I guess it works in a, in a professional context because because there is a limited amount of contact time you're being judged on a whole range of factors and you can communicate a lot about your attitude to work to the generation of value whatever it is in the way you present yourself mm. but in the learning space if i'm dressed for creating value in a business sense that's not the same as being dressed for caring about my, my learners learning and i think yeah. that that is that's the problem this idea that you get you have legitimacy in your in the classroom by some kind of um um, ec um, extrinsic um, authority mm. you have in Lit a literally that you can put intrinsic. on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, I think, yeah, I think that there could be a direct tension if you're teaching about business ethics or corporate social responsibility, and you're wearing a, a, a designer suit that was, uh, you know, uh, put together in a sweatshop. Um, yeah. by some, you know, unfortunate people mm. in, uh, in some part of the world who, who've been paying pittance yeah. then that, you know, there's a direct yeah. tension there. I think we do yeah. see that. But could I, oh, it's just really interesting what you said. Where do teachers get their authority from these days? Mm. You know, mm. we don't have canes like, like students <laughs> no. used to do. The students don't have to stand. You know, when I was teaching in Japan, no. when the teacher came in, the students had to stand and bow. Mm. You know, wow. in these yeah, kind of yeah. informal mm. context, mm. where where do we get our authority from? It's a very interesting question. Maybe that's one for another podcast. But what about you, Steve? Like, where do you get your confidence from when you're walking into the classroom? 
Well, well, that's a slightly different question, isn't it? I mean, mm. authority and confidence true. are linked, that's obviously. True. Um, but I mean, the question of where I derive my authority, if I can be said to have any authority, is, um, <laughs> um, I, <laughs> well, it, 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 it's the learning. And I think, well, okay, I don't know, I would, you'd have to ask my, my learners, but I would like to think that they associate um, the time we spend together mm. with um, a clear and visible and transparent and, and, and tangible increase in their abilities, mm. uh, which is also an enjoyable process. And they know if they show up and engage, then then that's the reward they'll get. Mm. And so they're not listening to me through any subservient sense of a hierarchy. Yeah. Or they're listening to me because it's in their own interest because mm, sure. they enjoy the process. Because I think the process of learning is fundamentally enjoyable. I mean, thank mm. goodness um that because that's our job but when you feel that you understand something better than you did before it's always going to give you a bit of a buzz i've always loved the process of figuring stuff out and learning stuff and if you can be somebody who facilitates accelerates supports that mm. process then that you then that's all the authority i think you need interesting interesting I don't know whether I do that or not. That's my aspiration. But, but well, that that's what means I attempt to do. That, see, that idea, see, that places a lot of pressure on your first teaching session with them because that's yes. when you've yes. got to create that association with all the good learning stuff and you. Um, and I think, mm. I mean, we, we spoke about planning. I, I, get, I think I get some authority from the fact that I have a lot of video content that's viewable mm. on the internet and you can see the number of views mm. and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, mm. and I, I do mm. think that reputation is important. I mean, we both teach in universities and students are talking to the students above them and, you know, who are older than them who have been to your classes. And I suppose yeah. that can give you a kind of soft authority as well if, if uh, other students have had a good experience and they relay that to students coming into your class. Yeah. I do make it a point very early on to try and create an activity which um is a really a quite a holistic quite a quite a full on experience yeah. for the learners. Possibly something <laughs> they weren't really expecting. So that I like it when I mean it's tif it's difficult because they're expecting introductions to the module and they're yeah, expecting yeah, lots yeah. of information. And they do get that later in the session, mm. but I really prefer to throw them into something which really kind of takes them out of whatever they've been doing sure. and puts them in a in a, a fun but sort of gently challenging situation and which which then kind of, uh, I th think it sort of resets their expectations a little mm. bit and they realise, oh, wow, this is something where I, where I actually... I mean, the thing is, you always have a little, a little advantage at the start because they're normally quite quite um susceptible everyone's a little bit unsure yeah, yeah yeah you can you can kind of kind of get in there quickly before they've really developed any um skepticism yeah. about your teaching <laughs> and and maybe get them get them in groups and get them to do something which is which is they maybe weren't expecting and that way i find you can kind of all, all bets are off maybe you can get rid of certain pre-existing um, ideas that they may have about the way lessons are supposed to go or the, what they thought it would be like with you. And then you have a bit of a clean slate that you can build mm. on. And then I do my introduction and talk about, um, you know, we have to talk about the assessment, what kind of yep. exams they're going to have to do. We have to talk about the, the uh, structure of the module. Mm. But if they're accepting that information, having been put through an experience they weren't quite expecting and something they were like, wow, I haven't done that before, then you do have, they're more receptive yeah. and more interested in what you're going to say. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's how so I that, it yeah, that, So that suggests that that first activity is a critical thing. So maybe we can have a, maybe we can have a podcast on, because I've, mm. I've got one which is the human spreadsheet, 
which is which yeah. is where students <laughs> play the role of a cell in a spreadsheet. All of the cells in the spreadsheet yeah. are interlinked, so you have to go and talk to the other cells. I'm absolutely yeah. sure you've got similar activities. We could do a podcast yeah. just on those. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we're going to call them. Those what I, I don't want to call them icebreakers, but you know, um, those all class. Everybody in the class is doing them. Mm, mm, uh, yeah, we could mm. definitely do a session on that. I think that kind of activity needs a name. I can't think of what it would be. Got to be, think about it. Think yeah, we should discuss those. <laughs> yeah, because that—that's the kind of yeah. Um, uh, but so, not to be too big about it, a like paradigm shifting thing you can do early mm. on, which just says to students like, that this is going to be a bit different. It's going to be about and, you. It's not about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And then you're sort of creating a framework or reframing the whole thing in a way that is more that leaves them more open to try new stuff mm. so we've gone way Whoa. off the topic of our, of our, swerving of our, back onto it? the road now yeah i mean i mean i'll say that for me um i work in uh, berlin in germany in europe i wear jeans and a t-shirt and <laughs> trainers and i teach english and it's sometimes business English, um, but that that's the way we roll. Now, I have colleagues in the faculty that wear suits every day, and they're th- good on them. That's, that's I mean, they're, they're, they're professors in, in business studies, international business, that kind of stuff. But I just don't think my teaching would be improved by wearing a suit. Mm. And I think it would make my life a bit more difficult. Um, Could I put a closing argument in? Yeah, well, go on. Well, I think we've just said that good teaching kind of minimizes the stress for the teacher so maybe you yeah. should set yourself a challenge steve get get a full suit mm. on get the <laughs> get the shirt buttoned up top button get the tie get yeah. the tie there and yeah. te- test your theory can you teach in mm. such an efficient way that you know you don't break a sweat that, wow <laughs> okay well i couldn't do I'll that i'll be reporting i'll be reporting back on a, on that yeah. challenge in a, in a future podcast <laughs> brilliant okay so um let's um head back to our main topic which is differentiation today and we left it talking about um the need to differentiate to cater to all of our learners the long tails on either end of the ability bell curve and that this can be done via plow during the planning stage or during intervention. Um, planning stage is about providing um, support sheets or materials to differentiate down, providing extension tasks to differentiate up. And intervention-based differentiation might mean wandering around the learning space, looking and visually identifying learners that are struggling and just kind of wandering over and maybe giving them some hints or tips or support, or wandering over to people that seem to have be finished a bit early and maybe suggesting an extension task now chris Mm. when we were talking about it earlier i had a a sense from you that you felt you were doing it mainly via intervention Mm. and you should be doing it via planning Mm. and then you sort of reassessed (laughs) that and said well actually i'm doing it via planning so it seems to be that you thought planning differentiation the planning stage is somehow the way to do it Mm. and the intervention stage is like like the poor relative like if you Uh, didn't uh, get your stuff sorted at planning is that how you're viewing it Oh, difficult question. Planning. I'm really putting you on the spot pla- this time. <laughs> planning for me is a very, oh, I just feel very mixed about the word planning. Planning sounds like a kind of, uh, a kind of bureaucratic thing. You know, you're filling out forms, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm, and the people who've worked with me will tell you this. And Steve, you know, you know I, I just don't really do planning. 
I can't motivate. I can't yeah. motivate myself to do it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I'm talking about the resources I've got. I've got these great spreadsheets. Mm. Well, I think they're pretty good spreadsheet resources, and I know from student feedback course, they're good. Yeah. These mm. videos, you know, I wasn't thinking. It wasn't. I didn't produce those videos four weeks before the teaching. Oh, it's now the planning mm. phase. I'm going mm. to plan. Mm. I mm. produced those videos to make my life easier. <laughs> Because I was like, yeah. I've explained this in a teaching situation 200 times. Why yes. don't I just create a video? Um, Absolutely. Well, I, so you could call that planning? I don't know. But, but I, I suppose I my, 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 my reticence or, or my slight embarrassment was mm. that it was sounding like I was being disorganized by not, by, yeah. by not planning things properly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think in a way you may have transcended the whole idea with the way you work, which is that you have different elements of your professional life actually buttressing each other. So Chris, if you don't know, um, he runs Tiger Spreadsheet Solutions, which is a um, fantastic YouTube channel, which if you have anything to do with Excel, you should absolutely <laughs> check out. Um, and you, te you teach a variety of modules, including obviously um, using Excel. Mm. And so your your kind of, business venture as tiger spreadsheet solutions then supports your teaching which Correct. is just just brilliant really so that is that is an approach which i think is great because you are avoiding one of the key problems with downwards differentiation via planning which is you end up singling out less able learners and publicly humiliating them by giving them the support <laughs> sheets yeah uh what for the ones that are a bit slower which is mm. not always the best thing to be doing mm. um this is my this is my point i think that differentiating down mm. so looking to support uh less able learners i think that's generally best handled via intervention and differentiating up which is you know trying to challenge more able learners is best handled via planning this is this is how well I have come to believe. Okay. I'm not saying it's fact. This this is not this is in, isn't any kind of educational orthodoxy or anything. It's just out of my experience, but maybe it's useful for some people. But if if you're intervening with the with the people on the lower end, are, are, are you not mm. are you not embarrassing them in class if if you're going over to them and? I think that it's it can be handled with more nuance and a bit more awareness mm. um, because. Uh, and the key thing is this, if you have planned and created a support sheet, and then at the start of the task, you walk around and give that out to people, you are signaling to the entire group, I have not waited to see who manages this well and who doesn't. I am so confident in your lack of ability that going into the task, I'm giving you the task. You know, so, so I'm giving you the support sheet. So sure am I that you will not be able yeah. to do it. And I think it's a pretty damning indictment on those learners mm. if if it's clear to everyone that the that, that, that it's this kind of this sense of, of, of pre-labeling them. Now, that, of course, there's other ways around this. You can start the task and you can say, okay, guys, I have got a, a support sheet here. Anyone that wants it, it's on a pile on this table over here. You can come grab mm. it. That, that, that's an option. Some students just get, get up straight away. Yeah. <laughs> that's for me. But at least, at least they're driving that process. So if, you've, if you're differentiating via, via planning, I'm not, I'm not saying that you should never do it to differentiate down, but I'm saying that you've got to do it quite sensitively. Mm. Mm. And, um, and of course, a support sheet is not as contextualized or individualized or personalized as a direct personal intervention sure. is. 
And I think that especially when you're looking to um, allay, we allay um, nervousness or insecurity and support learning, really a highly contextualized, individually tailored response is what the learner needs at that point. Mm. They don't need a catch-all, oh, you can't do it well here, here's the catch-all solution. Because it, or, or rather they need that personalized approach more than the other case, which is the people that require differentiation upwards, the, 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 the learners who are being under-challenged. Mm. Mm. Because, and this is the key point, there's nothing wrong with declaring, um, okay, here's the main task and here's an extension task for those of you that think this is a bit easy or for those of you uh, who've had your coffee morning and the, <laughs> this morning and you're really feeling on fire mm. or for those of you that just think this is going to be a really great day for you in your lesson, this is what I would suggest you do. Yeah. And that task, that can be broadcast to everybody because, um, I mean, I don't think you should necessarily be going and giving, an, oh, here you are, student, um person here you're very clever you should do this and sort of publicly saying that in front of the class yeah. that's right but you can make that available mm. in a way that um it can be framed as an aspirational option for anyone mm. to attempt and the nice thing is that um the learners that need it will will not be embarrassed about going and getting sure. it or or probably or they, they might be of course i mean again it has to be sensitively handled mm. but it's the kind of thing that you can introduce with the task and just have there mm. as an option. Doesn't um, you don't have to do it. It's a voluntary thing. Yeah. It, it may give you it may give you more may give learners more more mm. more value out doesn't, of that learning. Experience. Doesn't online we we can use online options to avoid or at least ease this embarrassment as well. Yeah. If we we can just yes. have uh, this this is how I do it in my university teaching. I have a I have a post on the university's. Um, uh, you know, teaching site about um, uh, about the lesson, about yeah. the session, and mm. all of the resources are on there. So, so it's totally mm. anonymous for the student. Mm. You know, where where they want to go and access it. And another thing, another thing. Um, you know, we've spoken before about globalization and having different students from different cultures in the classroom. But I, I think yeah. particularly with Asian students. Um, Mm. in-person intervention can be stressful for them yeah can be stressful for yeah. them and there, there's situations mm. where i i teach um, a module to 120 students so i'll do a mm. lecture to 120 students and then mm. i'll do a tutorial next with 30 of the students then to mm. have to interact personally with someone who's been stood in front of 120 students mm. that mm. i i mm. think that can be i i, I think that does scare them and yeah. there's there's yeah. some kind of social embarrassment might be attached to that that we wouldn't mm. get in Western cultures as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very valid point, and I mean what I'm saying is is kind of a very general principle, but it certainly doesn't apply mm. to every single situation. Um, I think that I think that what what adds weight to my to my argument though is that. When you want to um, plan to differentiate down, creating those materials takes a long time. Mm. Now, the way you've done it, Chris, is very smart because you're, you've created support materials which are generating value in other areas of your life. Mm. So making, spending time making the videos is great. But if you're in a situation where you have a task and you want to create some kind of support sheet, the nature of trying to create a support sheet which caters to everybody mm. um, means it will take more time because you're having to offer 
solutions or, or tips or you, you, your your um in order to try and catch all the potential problems that a learner might have yeah. that's going to be a pretty extensive sheet yeah now the alternative planning to extend the task differentiating upwards you're probably moving into the more open-ended interpretive and creative end mm. of the learning that's how it tends to go we move from um we're going to talk about questioning strategies all kind of things but you tend to always be moving towards uh, tightly defined tasks at the lower end with a very clear expectation of what learners have to do, move to more open-ended tasks, then to more interpretive and ultimately creative tasks mm. where you simply say, okay, imagine you are now this and just create this. No boundaries, mm. no borders, no um, uh, particular things to be met. You just do, do your own thing. And that is much easier to prepare because um, – you just need to create a springboard and the learners will do the rest themselves. They want, in my experience, learners at the up end of the mm. ability scale, they are yearning to be put their own personal creative spin on whatever you've been doing. Yeah. And of course, this applies more or less to depending on the content, the subject that, that you teach. Whereas learners who are, are struggling, they feel very intimidated by the very freedom that you've yeah. been given. What they're looking for mm. is guidance and they're looking for their number of options to be limited yep. so they don't have so Absolutely. much terrifying choice. So that means that at the planning stage, support materials take a while to plan, whereas extension materials can, can be as easy as one or two sentences mm. and they will occupy those more able learners much easier. So I think that you get... Uh, that's another justification or another reason why you might say, okay, I'm going to try and support, I'm going to differentiate down by intervention and up via planning. But this is definitely not a universally applicable idea. I think it's more something that, that I've noticed. I mean, I come from a, okay, maybe it's worth saying, I come from a language teaching backward, teaching English, teaching communication. And um, in that situation, providing support sheets means providing extra vocab, providing example sentences, providing scaffolds, and all those things take a lot of time to build, whereas providing extension tasks is, okay, imagine now this whole task that you've just done, imagine it was taking place in this situation, in this company, and imagine mm. that um, you've been asked to do a quick presentation on it, prepare that and show it to the class. Mm. Um, and that is that takes seconds to do, whereas the support sheet takes a long time. So... I think that everyone has to, I mean, the key thing is is becoming, as always, becoming aware of your learner's position, your learner's experience, and figuring out the best thing that works for you. But knowing the different methods that can be used maybe maybe is helpful. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah. I, even I think that even the concept of differentiating, differentiating down and differentiating up, you know, they're, they're mm. new concepts for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, of course, there are a few other things that you can do. Um, a few other things where tasks um, or ways of teaching that are, by definition, differentiated. Um, there are three that I was thinking about when planning this podcast. The first is using group work. Mm -hmm. As soon as you put students in a group, you create a level of differentiation because um, some students are going to take on the additional tasks of communicating, mm. defining the task, managing their group, mm. which is an additional level of cognitive load and a massive challenge in addition to doing the tasks. Um, generally speaking, especially if you explain to your students the kind of expectations you have and you say this is what's going to have to happen, in your group think about allocating tasks communication that will provide a framework for some learners to automatically probably unconsciously slot into mm. a more um facilitative yeah. role in the group we should have mentioned should have mentioned this in the group work 
podcast, shouldn't we? Uh, There's going to yeah. be so many cross links. So I've never, all these I've never thought about that. You can, they can kind of self-organize and differentiate. You know, somebody's doing yeah. the coloring in, and then, uh, and then <laughs> somebody else is, you know, uh, scripting the present. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I've never thought of group work as a kind of self-differentiator. Yeah. It automatically does it. The other thing you can do is um, look at uh, cognitive awareness-based tasks. This is always going to be a thing. Um, you're drawing learners' attention to monitoring their own learning and reflecting on their own learning. As you mentioned last week, Chris, a lot of your sessions end up with with you saying, um, okay, I'd like you to say, what have you learned this week? Reflect on it and maybe post in a forum mm. or maybe be prepared to feedback to the class about it in the form of a final pleadery activity where you bring the learning together. Mm. Um, that is also an additional task that you can throw out to the group, um, saving the knowledge that the more able students will will feel that they want to have a go at it and the less able students don't have to worry about it too much. But by listening to what the more able students say, then they still derive some benefit from that metacognitive analysis. Mm. And that's what the more able learners have done. And mm. finally, um, the idea of rather than, each, rather than your teaching comprising of single tasks performed consecutively you try and bundle these tasks into little projects so you have a project which involves the production of multiple outcomes which all probably serve one learning objective mm. feel free to listen back to podcast episode two on learning objectives and outcomes um and then you have a project which students have to manage over a, an extended period of time maybe it's over one lesson maybe it's over a, a few weeks and you can provide a project timeline. So this this is this is one way you could do it. You do this, do this, do this, and then you have your folder of work completed. But you can then encourage learners to adapt that project timeline and maybe make it work in a more efficient or more effective way. Mm -hmm. So you're providing um, within the task or within a bundle of tasks um, multiple paths to successful completion, some of which are just, um, you know, doing the correct job of implementing what they've been given, the basic project timeline, others which involve creating a completely new timeline, reaching the task, improving it, optimizing it, fantastic. And everyone then hopefully should find a level where they feel, this is this is good, I, I feel either a fair level of security, I'm being supported, I feel like I can do this, or they feel I'm not being restricted, I have the support there, but I'm going to go my own way with this, and my teacher's fine with that because he or she has, um, has specifically said, feel free to deviate from the plan, mm. but think about why you're doing it and maybe incorporate it into feedback to the rest of the class at a later stage. So group work, mm. cognitive awareness tasks, and project-based learning all have an it's element just, of yeah. self-differentiation within them. Yeah, I mean, group work, I'm really reflecting on the quality of the importance of group work now. And so group work makes, allows students to differentiate in a kind of natural way. You don't have to impose this, structure yep. formally mm -hmm. it, it also encourages reflection doesn't it because students are interacting with yep. other students and they're thinking oh maybe uh, i know something that student doesn't maybe that student knows something yep. I, you know so yep. this interaction just brings so much good stuff with it oh, totally i mean <laughs> it's why group work in my opinion is is infinitely preferable to um sort of teacher-centric um teacher-learner interaction mm. Being confronted with alternative ways of thinking, approaches, alternative attitudes to your yeah. own is what you need to be good at mm. in life. You need to totally. be able to understand that your way of doing it is not the way. I of think doing the world's it. missing and a bit of that <laughs> at present. Well, yeah. I mean, well, let's face it. I mean, <laughs> yes, if we can make a small contribution to mm. tackling that 
global deficit <laughs> in in the teaching that we're doing then that then that's great and i think that that's what i mean that in in my in the last few years of my um teaching i've done it exclusively everything with with group work mm. it's um it's tough um we're going to talk about more group work strategies uh, later in the podcast and i think we have previous episodes on it but yeah in terms of providing uh, a nuanced differentiated level of challenge for different learners group work is 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 great and, it, and mm. like you say it, it's built in it's built into the task cool so there we go i mean that's um that's our thoughts on on differentiation mm. um hopefully you can you can do something with this um even if it's just thinking about it becoming aware of it um it's amazing how sometimes just thinking about things that they will they will seep into your professional practice totally. before you know it you are differentiated or you realize more more often than not you're like well i like chris just did um you realize oh that's what i have been doing mm. and it's nice sometimes to get a kind of a recognition totally. that that is something you should be and doing. to get to, to get the language yourself to express it yeah 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 it's no bad thing good stuff all right steve could you hit me up with a top tip it's time for the top tip time, and then we're going to take the this top podcast tip home. Cool. Tip, top, top <laughs> tip time. Okay. So um, we've talked about plenaries. We've talked about group work. All of these things often involve a situation where you want uh, groups or students to give a little bit of feedback to the whole group. What have you learned? What results did your group have? How did your group solve that task? And then um, you maybe you've been doing the other top tips. You've been uh, um, defining the order they put all the but. Each student is taking a little bit too long to get to the point. Oh um, you've got five minutes left. Maybe you've got six, seven, and you really need to get around six groups. And yet the first person from the first group, it's not his or her fault, but they're struggling. They're kind of going on a little bit. There's a bit of waffling happening. Mm -hmm. You feel as a teacher, you can't really rush them because you're aware this wasn't the focus of the lesson. You haven't been giving them presentation training mm. on, 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 you know, get, making their point clearly. So you sort of have to indulge them by way. But then you're losing some of the attention from oh, the back yeah. and you're not really getting getting the the nice the nice punchy tight absolutely meaningful there's, end to there's your people lesson. packing away early people are people are packing away there's rattling of pencil yeah. cases um you know uh, chairs start moving and that <laughs> creates all kinds of like <laughs> behavioral cues that, absolutely the, the, there's unrest in the room but you so what i've my tip is create a create a very simple system um for for restricting the length of feedback and what i would like to suggest is something called six word feedback mm. which is something that i've been using for a while now imagine they have six words it needs to be adjective noun adjective noun adjective noun so and they're the only words and they have to give the entire amount of feedback um based purely on that model. Mm. So if they're talking about uh, their own assessment of the group, that, of, of the work they've produced or the process they've gone through, they might say, shaky start, um, challenging midsection, satisfying finish. Mm. That could describe a lot of things in life, I suppose. Um, I see. Or, the, or, or they might say something like, um, predictable misunderstandings, Good conversations, hopeful future. Okay. Something something like that. Mm -hmm. What you I mean, in the language learning classroom, um, this is helpful because it encourages people to I mean, I've not been I've not given great examples of a monast there, but it encourages people to get off the beaten track in terms of their vocab. So what I would normally do is say, you have six words, three adjectives, three nouns, and here on the board, I'm going to project 50 adjectives that you maybe don't normally use. Um, you choose your adjectives from them, and here's uh, 20 nouns. Choose your nouns from them. 
And so then mm. you actually have the ability to sort of start framing the kind of terms you want them to be using, mm. which might just also kind of get the, the feedback to the level, to the area where you want it to be about. It doesn't have to be six words. You could make, as you could say, okay, it can be anything, it can be 20 words. You don't have to restrict the, the word form. But create a restriction so they are forced to figure out a way of saying what they want to mm. say in a restricted number of words. It means everything gets done quickly. It provides a bit of differentiation because it's a different kind of task. And you may, if they're doing it in groups, then obviously one person has to count the words and try and figure out different um, different uh, synonyms that might make it work better. Um, and you get the crisp ending because uh, what you will what they will quickly find is that they didn't need five minutes of babbling mm, to get their point sure. across they could get it across really well in six words or 10 words or 15 words and especially if you provide them with the excellent vocab to do it then that's even more likely so creating a quick um way of doing feedback that's a bit like a game and then you use it consistently so they know what it is, and then you provide words for them to use. I think this is a really good way of ensuring you can keep your control over that feed. It's really crucial at the end of the lesson when you have that mm. plenary and yeah. you want to quick to quickly get ideas from the group. They need to be in a quick and efficient form. And I think that is that is something worth doing. So six-word feedback, adjective noun, adjective noun, adjective noun, or whatever you think works for you. Make it 10 words, make it a few more, provide the words on the board. Um Check it out. Try it. Could we apply you this to marking student assignments too? That's the... Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it goes back to the assessment um, podcast. We had um, we had uh, episode number two, I think, um, where we talked about the, necess the necessity of creating student or learner-friendly mm. criteria. Mm. So using the same terms to describe what is uh, excellent performance in this area, what is kind of outstanding what is less good performance and, and what how can we tell the difference and where are you on that scale of course the same vocab the same terms should be used um in teachers mm. feedback and they can also be used in the in the little six word pieces of feedback that the students do in the class the important thing is to um is to restrict it somehow so they have a dual task they want to express an idea but they're also required to do it in a certain form which will amplify the meaning actually by make, by mm. condensing it mm. and it creates uh, an alternative little challenge now if you, if you want to do it in your feedback to them <laughs> sure i mean I, I maybe it would be nice i've got a lot of exams that i need to grade over the next yeah. couple of weeks and if i could just do feedback in six word form mm. um i well it should be possible right i mean if it's possible for them it should be possible for me i'll work on it mm. i'll be giving it some thought wasn't entirely serious but maybe but maybe there is something in that i don't know it could be. Mm. It could be. I mean, the consistency of terminology yeah. and transparency of criteria. Who knows? But I think it's um, for me. I've had had some fun with it, and um, if nothing else, it gets your lessons finished Absolutely. on time, and Absolutely. your learners will certainly appreciate that. So we find ourselves at the end of another Alone Upfront podcast, mm. folks. If you've been listening, thank you so mm. much really hope this is providing some help or some food for thought or just some kind of gentle diversion really um and if you want to get in touch with us then head over to podbean that's where this podcast is hosted you can um you can email us there any questions you have any comments be glad to hear it also tell your teacher friends maybe they can listen to the podcast too um we're going to continue with um working our way through some of these issues 
um, in the next few weeks. And yeah, we're having a great time. We're enjoying making mm. these things. Um, I think I speak for for you too, Chris. Absolutely. To say that it's no, it's no great trial to have these conversations. Uh, so we're just going to keep rolling with it. Um, yeah, and that's it for this week. I hope uh, you have a, a great week wherever you're teaching. Um, whatever learning you are affecting and I hope you're enjoying yourself and getting some value out of this. Chris, I hope you have a very good week. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, that was a really good one and I will see you for the next one. Fantastic. Everyone else, wherever you are in the world, keep having fun with your teaching and thanks for listening.